You're listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. Here's Nate. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 provides us with a wonderful opportunity to discover the chief objective and aim and ultimate goal of the gospel. You see, I think a lot of us, when we think of the message of the gospel, we think of something that is primarily and really in many ways ultimately designed for the salvation of souls. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we get an opportunity to, to see inside of, to catch a glimpse of the heart of Paul the Apostle. And Paul's heart and Paul's desire was simply that the Thessalonian church would be a group of believers who, yes, had had a wonderful encounter with the gospel. And yes, because the gospel had saturated their hearts, had begun to sound forth into all of the world the truth of the gospel message that they had received. However, Paul was not content with a simple profession of the gospel. He was not content either with salvation. No, he wanted to see the Thessalonian church sanctified. And that's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 is all about. This is the will of God, your sanctification. But in the third chapter, Paul demonstrates and remembers. You remember these first three chapters are Paul the Apostle reminiscing about his time in Thessalonica. And in the third chapter, Paul reminisces about a time when the church in its infancy was in a real danger point. And Paul was concerned that they would continue to grow. He was afraid for them in the midst of affliction and persecution that they would begin to abandon the faith and that they would not be established in the faith. And so Paul's answer to that dilemma is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the sending of his comrade in ministry, Timothy, to establish, verse 2, to establish the faith of the Thessalonian church. And so really that's what this particular chapter is all about. It's a glimpse into the heart of Paul the Apostle. He wanted to produce a church in verse 3 that would not be moved by afflictions, but that would, verse 2, be established and exhorted in the faith. And of course, this reminds us of the commission of Christ, who Matthew 28 verse 19 told us that we are called to go into all of the world to make disciples. Paul was not content with just a group that responded to the gospel. He wanted to see a group of firm and solid Christians. And so we get to see this priority demonstrated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's start out in verse 1. Paul writes and he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. Now this brings us, of course, the word therefore brings us back to chapter 2 where he closed out that chapter by describing the Thessalonians as his joy, his crown, his glory, and his hope. And you look at those descriptions of the Thessalonians and you realize that Paul had a deep love for the Thessalonian church. And, and because of that deep love, he tells of a time when he could bear it no longer and he was willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And so he says in verse 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish 
you and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So one of the first things that you discover here is the absolute priority in Paul's heart of seeing the Thessalonian church established in the faith. Now, just to give you a geographic background to what is taking place here in 1 Thessalonians 3, you remember that Paul in Acts 17 had gone to Thessalonica to preach the gospel. He had brought Silas and Timothy with him. They had previously been in Philippi where they'd been very successful yet very persecuted. They left Philippi, a wonderful situation, a wonderful church, and they went to the city of Thessalonica. They preached the gospel on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Things began to swell over a few weeks. The Gentiles, the Greeks, began to come out to hear the gospel message. The Jews who were not believers grew jealous of Paul and Silas and Timothy, but especially of Paul, and began to persecute. They went to the house of a man named Jason and persecuted the believers there in Thessalonica. Paul then fled to the city of Berea. There in Berea, he called for Silas and for Timothy. They joined him in Berea, but the persecutors followed them to the city of Berea. So Paul secretly then fled to Athens. There in Athens is where Paul sent for Silas and Timothy to come and be with him. Now reading between the lines in the text, it appears that there in Athens at some point they met, but with great concern for the Thessalonian church, Paul says in verse 1, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone in order to send Timothy to be with you, to exhort you, and to establish you in your holy faith. It seems as if what occurred is that Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica and sent Silas, more than likely, to Philippi, there in Macedonia, and Paul was alone down there in Athens. And so you have to notice the willingness of Paul to be left alone in order to send these two men away to these respective churches, Philippi and Thessalonica, in order to establish the believers. Now, just as a side note, what I wanted you to see, especially those of you that are doing ministry, is I wanted you to see that this was not the preference of Paul. In fact, it took extreme circumstances for Paul to finally get to a place where he declares that he was willing to be left alone. In other words, the preference of Paul was a togetherness in ministry. The preference of Paul was a team approach to ministry. I think you see this demonstrated in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, when you have a long list of ministers who were there with Paul doing ministry together. You've got men like Sopater and Pyrrhus and Aristarchus and Segundus and Gaius and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus. These were Paul's ministry companions and ministry friends. I always worry about a man or woman who seeks to do the ministry of Christ in solitude. The Lord did ministry as a team. And Paul was a man who loved to do ministry in a team kind of setting. And I think we should have that same desire as well. 
And so uh, you see that in the life and in the heart of Paul the Apostle. And in fact, when you follow out this particular story, Paul left Athens and went to the city of Corinth. And you might remember that he met a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, and he constructed tents with them for a while in order to pay the bills. He sold tents, made tents. But a moment came when Silas and Timothy reunited with Paul in Corinth. And it says in Acts 18, verse 5, that when they came to him, at that moment, Paul was stirred up inside of his spirit and received the strength that he needed to begin preaching in power in the city of Corinth. And that's just a wild thought for me to think about a man of Paul's caliber needing strength from his friends in order to be strong in the ministry. And so you have to see that, that preference of Paul to be together in ministry. But, but to Paul, it was all worth it to be alone in Athens. It was all worth it to send Timothy and Silas away because this was his priority. And I've been saying that so far in this teaching, but you have to recognize this, that Paul didn't want to just see the Thessalonians saved. No, he wanted to see them established. I don't know if he was thinking of the parable of the sower that Jesus gave time and again. The idea of the seed being cast on four different types of soil. You have the, the soil that's rock hard because it's the beaten down path. You have the stony ground. You have the soil with thorns and thistles in it. And then you have the good soil. I don't know if Paul was thinking about that, thinking about the reality that in, in three of those soils, the seed was immediately received. But in two of the soils which received the seed, there was no room for the seed of God's word, the gospel, to be able to truly grow in a person's life and heart. I don't know if Paul thought about that reality, but there was something inside of Paul that made a decision that it was a priority to establish, to ground, and to found the Thessalonian church. And I hope and pray, whoever you are, wherever you are, and whenever you might be listening to this particular teaching, I hope and pray that you receive this priority deep inside of your heart. Perhaps you are a new believer. You've just begun to walk with the Lord. You've just begun to study his word. You've just begun to get to know him. And, and I hope and pray that you receive this as a priority in your life. You need to grow. You need to be grounded. You need to be founded. You need to have a time to mature in your Christian life, to learn the word of God, to be established, to be grounded. Now, perhaps for you, you're seasoned and you're busy ministering to others. And I would say to you, as much as we want to preach the gospel, as much as we want to see souls saved, we must have a priority of establishing and grounding and maturing those that we minister to. We want them to make progress. We want them to be complete. And this is an important idea and a priority that we ought to hold. And Paul had that priority. That's why he was willing to be left behind at Athens alone. But notice also the process in which Paul thought that this goal to establish the church would happen. It says, and we sent Timothy, verse 2, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and to exhort you in the faith. Timothy would be the secret weapon that Paul would send 
to Thessalonica in order to establish the church. And isn't that interesting? Who did Paul send? Paul sent Timothy, who by all accounts was a pastor teacher. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, that God has given to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul sent one of his best, and he sent a pastor teacher in order to establish the church. And how would Timothy establish and mature the church as a pastor teacher? Well, he would do what a pastor teacher does. He would pastor them and he would teach them. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Their minds would be renewed. They would mature as the word of God went forth. And this is so good. Timothy would establish them as he taught them. And you see that there in verse 2. Paul said, I've sent him to you to establish you and to exhort you. Two things that Timothy would do. He would establish and he would exhort. You know, a ministry cannot be primarily or firstly exhortive. I mean, it really can't. You can exhort and exhort and exhort all day long, but unless a person is established in a sense, unless they know the right direction in the first place, the right truth in the first place, you can exhort them all day long, but you may be exhorting them to the wrong thing because they have yet to become established. It reminds me of when I was a child and we played Little League Baseball, you know, and, and in those first years, you know, you have no idea what you're doing. You go up to the plate, you they put the ball on a little tee or the coach throws it to you underhand and you swing and you hit the ball and, and you just begin to run and everybody begins to yell and there are always at least a few kids on the team that in the midst of that fervor and excitement, everybody cheering for them, the parents cheering, the coaches cheering, the, the adults are waving their arms left and right, the other kids on your team are shouting and cheering and yelling for you. There's always at least a handful of kids on a team in that moment who, because they've yet to receive real instruction on the game of baseball, they just begin to run in all kinds of crazy directions. It's not until the Coach sits them down and teaches them and establishes them. This is where you go first. This is where you run second. This is where you run third. And this is where you run fourth. And this is how you do it. And here's the rules that you need to follow in order to get there. It's not until they're established that they're able to run well. So Timothy would go as a pastor teacher and establish them. And then he would exhort them in their faith. Now, he does all of this, as I've already said, so that, verse 3, no one would be moved by these afflictions. The Thessalonians were suffering for their faith. They were persecuted for their faith. And I love how Paul describes it there at the end of verse 3 when he says, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. And truly, believers, we are. We're destined to difficulty. We are destined to persecution. I mean, when you just think about what we're doing in the gospel and what we're doing as we place our faith and trust in Christ and what we're doing as we seek to be a part of this thing called the church and fulfill the mission that God has given to us, the thing that we are doing as we come up against principalities and powers of darkness and in an unseen, fallen, angelic realm, and to just think of the, the forces that we are up against, it's no wonder 
that we would experience persecution. It's no wonder that we would experience trial and the Thessalonians were experiencing it in a serious way. And Paul didn't want them to turn from their faith in light of this persecution. Paul then says concerning this persecution, he says, you know, we warned you. He says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith through Timothy for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so here's Paul explaining what his ministry was like in Thessalonica. You know, one of the things I love about Paul is that the moment these Christians got saved, the moment they gave their hearts and their minds and their lives to Christ, the moment that that transaction took place in Thessalonica, Paul began to tell them the truth about how difficult this life would be. And I love that. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's just simply a part of the Christian life. And I love the willingness of Paul to tell it straight, to tell the truth, to give the unadulterated truth of God's word. And I think in our modern era, we like to water so many things down. We like to give a cool, cozy, palatable message. But Paul was like the prophets of old, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezra, and was willing to tell them the truth. And I think this is good. We ought to tell people the, the true, harsh realities at times of how difficult it will be to walk with the Lord. If I'm getting ready to run a marathon and I've never done it before, I want to have someone who's run a marathon before tell me how horrible it's going to be. That will help me in my training and in my preparation. But if somebody tells me that it's going to be an easy thing and I go into my training believing that, I won't be ready for that true day of difficulty. And Paul was doing all of this because in verse 5, he said, I feared that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. His big goal and his big concern was that rather than become established, the Thessalonians would be unestablished, so to speak, and would be tempted by the devil to turn from the Lord in that hour of persecution and difficulty. And in this way, Paul is like a good parent who wants to see his infant child thrive. And so Paul, this is the reason that he sent Timothy to be with them and the reason that he was willing to be left alone in Athens. Now, verse 6, Paul moves on and actually reports of the return of Timothy. He had sent Timothy, and Timothy had come back and, Paul, and gave Paul a report. And actually, 1 Thessalonians is a response to Timothy's report. And here's the report in verse 6. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast 
in the Lord. What Paul heard from Timothy absolutely encouraged his soul. And if you've done any ministry at all, you know how wonderful it is to receive a good report from the people that you have ministered to, whether they've whether you ministered to them in the distant past or whether you are currently ministering to them, that word can be so encouraging. This last weekend, I was, I don't know, in a slight place of discouragement. I think it can happen to any minister. Uh, There were just a couple of grumblings that I was dealing with and the people that I minister to. and, And in the course of, you know, just laying my soul before the Lord and just asking him to strengthen me and asking him to take it. In the course of that, two separate people, one in my church and and another who from far away through the internet, sent me little notes of encouragement, just saying how grateful they are for the work that God is doing through our church and through the teaching of his word. And I got to tell you, when I heard that, it just so encouraged my heart. It was a good report. And that was what Paul had heard from Timothy about the Thessalonians. They were doing well and loved Paul and were growing in their faith. And so Paul was greatly encouraged. And he actually said there in verse 7, I've been comforted about you through your faith. And verse 8, he says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. This is amazing. In one sense, as if Paul is saying, my life, so to speak, my quality of life, now we live. He says, my quality of life is directly linked to the quality of your walk with the Lord. I think if somebody were to say something like this in our modern church era, we we just might want to give them counseling. Hold on a second. How could you link your well-being to the well-being of some distant church or group of people that you have ministered to. But Paul loved these people so deeply, and he longed to see them do well. And when he found out that they were, his heart greatly rejoiced. And so in response to that report, Paul then begins to pray. And this is what he prays. He says, verse 9, he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake, before our God. The first thing that Paul gave to the Lord in in his prayer to him was simply uh, thankfulness. Thankfulness. He thanked God in his prayer. And uh, what a wonderful way to lift up above the clouds, so to speak, and to get perspective is to begin to thank God for whatever you can thank him for whatever you can thank him for. You know, I live and teach and minister here on California's central coast. And, you know, where I live, there's oftentimes a lot of fog that will roll in from the ocean. And this fog will, at times, just totally engulf a pocket of our community. And it's so interesting. If you're outside of that fog, where the sun is shining, you can sort of look around and you can see there's fog over there. You know, a few miles away, that whole little region is just socked in, we like to say, with fog. 
And so, you know, if you're making plans or whatever and you want to be in the sun, you just make a decision. Don't go over there right now. The fog is there. It has descended upon that piece of real estate. But if you're in that fog, you know, the crazy thing is you have no idea how far that fog goes. To you, it might as well be something that stretches for hundreds, if not thousands of miles. In reality, it could be half a mile and you'd be out of that fog and enjoying the sunshine. But when you're in that fog, it kills your ability to be able to have perspective. And so often I found in my own life that when I'm thankful to the Lord, when I pray a prayer of thanks, it lifts me and gives me a perspective that I previously could not have. There are times in my life where the only thing that can lift me from the fog is to simply go back to the day of my conversion, the day I was born again, and simply begin to thank God for whatever I can thank him for from that point forward. And I just remember the hand of God upon my life and that thankfulness grows inside of my heart and inside of my mind. And so verse 9, he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Here, Paul moves from thanking God into asking God for an opportunity to go to Thessalonica. He, he wanted an open door to do ministry face to face with the Thessalonians once again. What a wonderful prayer request. And in this, Paul is confessing that he believed he had a work to do in Thessalonica. It was one thing to send Timothy, but he longed to send himself. And then he says in verse 11, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. More than just praying for an opportunity, here Paul is praying for God to simply sovereignly direct his life to open up doors, to close doors, and to bring him to where he wanted him to be. And this is a wonderful prayer to pray, to trust that God is able to direct our lives. And verse 12, his prayer then shifts and he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. And so you see Paul's prayer finally shift into a prayer of intercession. He thanks the Lord. He prays for an opportunity to go to Thessalonica. He prays for God to simply sovereignly direct his life. But here he closes this prayer with a simple prayer of intercession. May the Lord make you. May Jesus himself work on you. I think in the heart and the mind of Paul. He understood that even if he couldn't go to Thessalonica, it didn't matter. The Thessalonians had a great high priest named Jesus Christ who was more than able to establish them and to grow them. And this is a wonderful way to pray for God's people, to pray that Jesus himself would grow them and change them and mature them. You know, it takes a lot of concentration and effort in this modern era to disciple someone and to see someone grow and to be established in their holy faith. But what a wonderful call and what a wonderful opportunity 
the gospel presents to us. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.